In this report, if you think that buying an EV is going to save you money while you help save the planet, then I'd suggest that you've been properly hoodwinked by a bunch of extremely well-funded vested interests, both here in Australia and overseas, and their objective is just to keep exploiting our endless hydrocarbon resources while you look the other way. Logan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars by or by crook. Well, we don't do crook very often. Hardly ever, as a matter of fact. But Australia only, dude, website, card. Now, I'm going to talk about the extraordinary response I got to a community post on YouTube just the other day. We're going to cover the cult of personality and a whole bunch of news influences that are happening right now, presumably orbiting COP27 in Egypt, because it's a really interesting window into EV's fact versus fiction. But first, this report is sponsored by NordVPN. Now, I'm not a hardcore IT guy, but I've heard enough, especially recently, about data breaches, scams and hacks to know that being online can be inherently risky and costly. You don't have to be tech savvy to use NordVPN. It's a simple one-stop cybersecurity solution. One click and you are protected from hackers, malware and pop-ups across as many as six devices. NordVPN is the world's fastest VPN. I don't even notice it running in the background, frankly, and it only costs about as much as a cup of coffee to keep your data, your identity, and your devices secure every month. NordVPN can also save you money because you can assign your virtual location to another country where, for example, flights and accommodation might be cheaper than they are back at home. The same goes for streaming services, and you can access live sporting events and other content that may not be available where you actually live. It's a pretty small price to pay for cyber security, not to mention the potential savings also on the table. Go to nordvpn.com AEJC to get a huge discount off your plan plus four months free. Totally risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com AEJC. Link in the description. And thanks to Nord for sponsoring this episode. Now, it would be difficult indeed to imagine a more polarising pair of influences than Jordan Peterson and Bjorn Lomborg, wouldn't it? And I pointed to a video of theirs the other day, which they jointly presented about the economics versus the achievement of CO2 reduction and things of this nature. Now, at the outset, I have to say, I don't agree with everything that Jordan Peterson has ever said. In fact, we disagree on fundamentals, like I'm an atheist, he's a god-botherer, for example, so never the twain will meet there. But he does make some good points about where religion fits into society, and I have to acknowledge him for that. And frankly, I had never really followed much of Mr Lomborg's work because there's a lot of negativity about him online, and I kind of dismissed him as being a climate crackpot. But someone recommended that I watch this video and I caved in and watched it and I thought hey you know these guys are actually making some worthwhile points that at the very least need to be thought about. 
And I got this avalanche of comments, like 150 comments is a lot for me in a YouTube community post. And many of them were extraordinary because they point to a cult of personality that is operating in society, right? Like you've got to like someone before you can agree with them kind of thing. The, the inverse of that proposition, of course, being that I don't like him or her, therefore they're wrong, Right, which I find ridiculous because on my world, and I'm old-timey like this, I know, but the idea to me is more important than the person saying it. Like I had very little respect for former Prime Minister Scott Morrison, for example, but when he said that EVs are going to end the weekend and I looked at the composition of EVs, like the vehicles that traditionally are associated with outdoor recreation in Australia, there is not an EV available that can do that. There's not an EV that can tow your caravan a long distance or your boat. There's currently not an EV that will do a significant amount of off-road, all-terrain type desert crossing driving and things of that nature. <laughs> anyway, where would you charge it if there were? You're not going to tow a diesel generator across the Simpson Desert just to say you've done it, are you? So he was right. And it pains me to say that because I really don't like him and I am therefore subjected to this cult of personality to some extent. But I try and put it to one side when I'm evaluating ideas is what I'm saying, okay? And just dismissing people's ideas based on who they are is ridiculous. It's also ineffective, okay? Because if you want to argue with someone effectively, and I don't mean like on talkback TV kind of thing where you've got guest A and guest B and they're from different camps and a host in the middle and the screen is split three ways and he's shouting at her and she's shouting at him and the host is in the middle going blah, 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 blah. I don't find that instructive and I certainly don't find it entertaining but that's what qualifies as argument in pop culture perhaps. I'm not talking about arguments like that. I'm when I say argument, I'm talking about the debate orbiting ideas, which is really kind of important. And you've got to dismiss what you think about a person from an emotional point of view, from what you think about the ideas they're putting forward. Otherwise, you might not get to evaluate the ideas properly. And anyway, I'll put a link to that video if you want to watch it. And I'd suggest do it with an open mind because some interesting slash important points are made in it. And then it made me think a little bit more broadly about what people were saying in the comments feed. And I want to bring you this one from a dude named Justo Heard. Justo says, continually shooting down EVs, big E, little V, apostrophe S, how to look credible, saying it only solves 8% of the problem is very short-sighted. Well, for starters, Justo, I don't shoot down EVs continually. I am a broken record of advocacy saying excellent for clean air in our cities, which is a really important consideration given the number of premature deaths attributable to exhaust pollution. EVs are also excellent for national energy security because... Even if we only had coal-fired electricity, as I understand Australia's coal reserves, based on our rate of consumption of coal currently, we've got about 1,200 years worth of supply. So if we could plug in 
we would be divorced from foreign oil is essentially what I'm saying there, okay? So uh, in terms of energy security, EVs, big winner. Not so sure how effective that would be on the climate front. But let's get back to Justo now. He says it would mean the problem is now only 92%. By any metric, that's a success. That's a complete catastrophic failure of non-logic, dude, because many problems are pass or fail. They're binary. For example, exploring the new world, leaving Portsmouth in a square rigger and sailing all the way to Australia, to Farkernell, if you only get 92% of the way there and you, and you fail by 8%, then you fail. Like, it's just, it's the same train wreck. Why even bother with all the hardship in, in the intervening time? Why not just whip out past Portsmouth Harbour and just sink the ship there and drown there and avert all that hardship on the way to Australia? For example, binary problems demand 100% success. And it is an absolute fact that cars, meaning light vehicles, utes, vans, cars, SUVs, things of that nature, are 8% of our total greenhouse emissions. That is a fact. And the thing about facts is you don't have to like them and you don't even have to agree with them, dude. They're still fucking facts, okay? So there's that. Justo again now. A suggestion, instead of incessantly shooting down the current EV trend, well, the EV trend is very small, right? Because... EVs are currently 1% of sales or something of that nature. So it's very tiny. Maybe it's 2% now if I haven't been paying attention. But it's certainly not 10% or something of that nature. The current trend is virtually zero. Okay, so I'm not shooting down the trend, but he's suggesting use it as an opportunity to show where greater improvements can be made. Okay, so, okay, Justa, I'll do that. Where greater improvements can be made, dude, we need better mass transit because nobody enjoys being stuck in congestion, do they? And it's equally unenjoyable to be stuck in congestion in an EV, having driven one for a year, as in a combustion car. It's the same shitful rat race, okay? So we need to do something about congestion because cars are a totally crap way of getting everyone from the burbs to the city at 8.30 to 9am and then all turning around and dispersing them out of the city at 5 to 6pm in the evening. They're terrible at that in the way that a really good mass transit system would rock. The only problem is that mass transit in Australia sucks. It sucks a friggin' golf ball through a hundred metres of half-inch Nilex garden mows. That's how hard it sucks. And so it's shit and expensive, and it needs to be free and first-rate, and that would get a shit tonne of cars off the road. So this would be a huge boon to business efficiency. It would reduce congestion. And let's face it, internal combustion is going to be on the road for two to three decades because that's how long cars last, right? So we're going to have internal combustion cars on the road for the next three decades, whether you like it or not. And that sort of commuting to the city and then back all at the same time is the least efficient, meaning most emissions 
kind of driving you can do. So we need better mass transit as a means of combating climate change. And no politicians are talking about that because they're all washed up lawyer assholes, more or less. There's a preponderance of washed up lawyer assholes in politics and they don't get the fundamental physics. So there's that. We need public education too about the more efficient use of the car you've got because frankly, the EVs that are on sale in Australia today, they kick off at $50,000. That's the cheapest one. Who's got that kind of money? Most people are stuck with the car they've got by virtue of economic necessity. Otherwise, we'd just all buy new cars every six months because new car's better than old car on balance. But we don't have that. So we need a public education campaign about better use, more efficient use of the car you've got, meaning how to drive for peak fuel efficiency. Get out of the peak if you possibly can. Drive more gently because your accelerator is connected to a tap that empties the tank. And when it empties the tank, it empties your fucking wallet and the price of fuel and other economic pressures at the moment are through the roof on many household budgets. And at the same time, there's a direct proportional relationship between the amount of fuel you burn and the emissions you make. So drive more gently. And also think about the logistics, because if you live here, right, and you go drop the kids at school, come home, have a shower, go out for coffee with the girls, come home, and then later on you go to the gym and you come home, and then you go to the shops and you come home, and then you do something else and you come home, that's five return trips. If you were able to go from here to there to there to there to there and back, you've only made one return trip and therefore you have sidelined one, two, three, four return trips and you save 100% of the fuel you would have burnt on the trips that you don't make and you also reduce the emissions of those non-trips to zero. So there's no public education campaign about any of that. And, you know, one of the few positives that flowed from the COVID pandemic was we ran the experiment on working from home and working from home, okay? It works. Productivity does not suffer, but we drive less and therefore we save 100% of that fuel and those emissions as well. And I'm not hearing any of that from anyone in the climate space talking about reducing the emissions from family cars, which would also save ordinary Australians money. So I think that's flat out deplorable. Now, I got uh, a message here from a dude named Peter Gibson who says, people shouldn't mock the folks that grandstand or have passion for EVs. EVs are great for the same reason electric trains and trams are great and no one criticised the move from coal slash steam trains or diesel trains to electric type, even though everyone knew full well that the electricity would come from coal-fired plants. Okay, so I'd suggest there's a couple of problems with that, Pete. Diesel trains were not replaced by electric trains, dude. We've got steam was replaced by electric trains about the same time as we developed an electricity grid, oddly enough, because it's easier to run pantographs up to the overhead wires and suck the electricity out of the wires, much easier than running steam trains between stations in the networks, the rail networks in our cities for commuters, right? It just is. So electric trains replaced steam trains 
for short distance commutes because it's a better technology. Diesel replaced steam for locomotives because diesel locomotives are more powerful and easier slash more efficient to run. You're not going to move umpteen thousands of carriages full of bulk goods with a steam train. You're just not. I mean, you can do a bit of freight movement with a steam train, but diesel locomotives make tremendously more power. And pro tip, they don't have to stop every few kilometres to be topped up on the water that gets evaporated by virtue of their operation. So there's that. And furthermore, I'd suggest that it was a superior technology in both cases. Like electric trains are fully superior to steam and diesel locomotives are fully superior to uh, steam locomotives, right? Because th there's no respect in which the steam locomotive is better. There's just not. And this is not the case with electric cars, right? Because electric cars are fundamentally compromised. They're more expensive. They don't travel as far. They take a lot longer to quote-unquote refuel. And for long-distance use, they are less practical. That's just a set of facts about them. Now, if you like the concept of EVs, you can embrace the negatives and you can view that as your sort of battle against adversity if you want, but you cannot claim that an electric car is a superior technology. It's superior in some ways, clean air for our cities, energy security, you can charge it up without visiting the fuel station, their advantage is sure, but it's not a flat out lay down misere of superiority. It's just not. So. Let's move on to a recent story by Teenage Rupert Ninja Turtles Mob, news.com.au. This is the kind of story that gets a run about EVs currently, right? Sydney Council warns residents against taking dangerous risks to charge EVs. What are these dangerous risks? Is it like going door to door in Ramadi? Have to ask yourself. The story goes on, quote, a Sydney council has warned residents against running power cords onto the street to charge their electric cars. It comes after several reports that residents had run hazardous extension cords, not just extension cords, but hazardous ones, from the inside of their homes out onto the street through trees and over public footpaths. Jesus, so not exactly door-to-door -door in Ramadi then, is it? In one incident... A resident hooked a power cord through a tree over public land to charge their electric car. Bastard. Mossman Council was forced to issue a public warning, urging residents to use the three publicly available fast charging stations in the suburb instead. Okay, let's crunch the numbers on Mossman. 28,000 residents, okay? That's 13,000 dwellings, according to the most recent census. That means one public charger for roughly every 4,300 homes. Like, okay, if you've got a garage in Mossman, you're doing okay. You can park in your garage and plug in there. What about if you're forced to park on the street? Like, drive around Mossman, dude. It's a very whoop-de-doo sort of Sydney suburb. So there are plenty of people parked on the street continuously. And this is going to be a Sydney-wide problem if we have widespread adoption of EVs. Where the fuck are they going to charge? Currently in Mossman, one of the most affluent suburbs in the city. One charger for every 4,300 homes and 
one charger for every 9,000 residents sort of thing, okay? So well done, Mossman Council geniuses preparing for the influx of Teslas in your suburb. Incidentally, the median house price in Mossman, have a guess, 4.75 million Australian micro-pesos. So... Now, Mossman Council spokesperson told the Daily Telegraph, connecting power to a vehicle using this method is potentially unsafe to the public. In the domain of news about EVs and climate, I'd suggest that a few people putting a cord across the footpath, right? Someone's going to trip over and break their neck and sue the council for umpteen millions. I know we're a highly litigious society and we'd have to blame someone if we didn't see a bright yellow power cord across a grey concrete footpath, wouldn't we? Because it couldn't be our fault for not paying fucking attention. Anyway, shall we move on now to Greenpeace? Because Greenpeace has the most immense trouser TP, and I don't mean in a good way, for Toyota. And they issued a release yesterday, which I found. Uh, I was chortling ear to ear. I was cheesing ear to ear on that. Toyota car sales to push the planet beyond 1.5 degrees C heating limit study. The study is actually a Greenpeace study, so you can take that with however many grains of salt you want. But anyway, that's their headline about this burning issue, literally. A whopping 2.6 million Aussie drivers, they say, are considering switching to electric vehicles because of surging petrol prices and to do their bit to reduce transport emissions. Who are these 2.6 million Aussies, one in ten? Because I'm not seeing it. I wonder how we arrived at that number, because the only EVs on sale at the moment, like the ones you'd want, are going to cost you seventy dollars or $80,000 or more. Who's got that kind of hoot to drop on a new car with, you know, rising interest rates and feeding the family and mortgage pressures and all of that kind of thing, job uncertainty, potential war with China. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? So this business about buying an EV as some sort of countermeasure to quote-unquote surging petrol prices, that's a complete economically irrational nonsense. Like, it just is. You're going to pay what? $25,000, more for an EV to start saving money on petrol, you're going to have to drive it 150,000 k's to break even. Is the battery going to last that long, right? So as a countermeasure for petrol prices, that's just nonsense. Get real. Engage with the facts, dude. Like, come on. Reducing transport emissions? Yeah, okay. EVs reduce transport emissions. We have demand that massively exceeds supply, as they do all over the world at the moment, but still car manufacturers like Toyota are making the transition to zero-emission vehicles far too slowly, said this person, senior campaigner, at Greenpeace Australia Pacific. He or she said, as the climate crisis intensifies, governments around the world are rapidly moving to mandate the sale of electric-only vehicles. No, they're not. They're not. There's 200 and... 209 countries, and you could count on your hands and your feet the number of countries who have mandated the sale of electric-only vehicles, right? So what's that, 10% max? There's countries considering that, but the number of countries that have mandated it, like, come on, and moving rapidly to mandate the sale. 
other. If traditional automakers fail to electrify, they will lose out to newer all-electric competitors and risk stranded assets. Toyota is on a collision course with the climate. While the climate crisis is heavily debated at COP27, actually, I don't see the climate crisis being debated at COP27. I see it as a sort of multinational masturbation festival where they agree to a whole bunch of things that never get done, which is kind of depressing. Anyway, this week, Toyota and other car manufacturers continue to ignore the severity of the climate crisis. Yeah, that's true in the case of Toyota. They are anti-environmental cocks. They're at the top of their game. Uh, it quote goes on, but it doesn't have to be this way. Many manufacturers are moving. Just this week, Volvo announced an end to the sale of petrol vehicles in Australia by 2026. It's time for Toyota to rapidly up its game. I agree on that. In many respects, Toyota needs to rapidly up its game, but making comparisons between Volvo and Toyota, like, dude, here's Volvo, here's Toyota. That's probably representative of their balance sheets as well, the health of their balance sheets. So Volvo was a basket case when Ford owned it for the first part of this century. And I don't think being owned by the Chinese has helped. Frankly, they're terrible in this country, terrible at customer service, terrible at reliability. They're not exactly leaders in the automotive game in any sense. The only time they were was when they took the lead on safety decades upon decades ago endlessly, and everybody else has sort of risen up and matched them on that. So they don't really have a unique selling proposition today, but if they want to ban the sale of their own petrol vehicles, then that's a matter for them. Now, Toyota and being anti-environmental cocks. Sean Hanley, who's a senior wonk over there, he's carrying the can for sales and marketing, so he's a bigwig, a bit of a cheese. The other day he said Toyota is not opposed to battery electric vehicles. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing fairly staunch opposition there, dude. We believe that to get to carbon neutrality, you have to take everyone on the journey. Oh, good. We'll all get in the car with Sean and go on a journey and we'll end up at carbon neutrality. Won't that be nice? The point is this. Carbon is the enemy here. Despite the fact that we're all made of it, as is the natural world, everything we eat, all of our colleagues, the buildings that we live and go to work in, things of that nature. But okay, carbon's the enemy, not the powertrain. We're in full support of some mandated type of legislation around emissions reductions. The one thing that everybody agrees with is we have to get to a carbon neutral position. Said the guy who's responsible for sales and marketing for the 2.6 tonne filthy CO2 belching Land Cruiser 300 and Australia's most popular vehicle, also the almost as filthy diesel fucking Hilux. Well done there. The Academy Award for Corporate Bipolarity goes to Toyota Australia. Toyota are, in fact, misleading, deceptive, anti-environmental cocks. About that, there is no doubt. But I'd suggest that even here, there are bigger fish to fry if you want to understand the EV issue. Okay, There really is, because EVs are a distraction. The EV Council of Australia okay, is funded by filthy coal-burning businesses such as AGL, Delta Energy and Origin Energy, among others. And those other paragons of green virtue, Osgrid, 
Transurban, and of course a bunch of fleet finance companies. And they get up every morning, they just want to save the planet, right? They're increasingly less concerned with just writing endlessly more finance business on more expensive EVs. That wouldn't be why they're there, would it? Anyway, one million EVs by 2027, uh, that's the plan, isn't it? Which frankly is unworkable if you are a vestigial respecter of the facts. But I guess it's a great way to keep people's eyes away from the real climate problem in this country, which would be the other hydrocarbons, coal and gas, right? Coal, gas, oil. Coal and gas are a flat-out disaster, and EVs are a diversion there. They just are. But the thing about cars is that they're so relatable. We can see them. We all get stuck in traffic. We can smell the fumes, right? We can see the white smoke coming out of the exhaust on the cold winter morning, can't we? Even though that's just water vapour. Can't see the CO2, the water vapour, though it condenses rapidly in winter before the exhaust system heats up sufficiently and you can see it. So cars are relatable. We've all got one. Coal and natural gas, not so much because they happen out of the public view, don't they? They happen in these remote locations where we don't really see them unless you work in a coal mine or a power plant or something of that nature. But cars are just 8% of the problem, right? And that's a fact, and you have to embrace the facts if you want to solve the problem. When the wheels came off Apollo 13, they didn't ask all the engineers and scientists how they felt about it. They concentrated on the facts because that's the only way to solve this problem. Now, if you want to understand the problem, I'd suggest you get out your friend Google on the homepage there and type in CSIRO, what are the sources of Australia's greenhouse gases? There's a dedicated page on this, and in the age of endless information, you have to look at what information is credible. So you have to do like a veracity check on information if you want to understand anything, because there's so much bullshit. There's never been more information, and there's never been more dodgy information, right? But I think we can trust the CSIRO. The flip side of which is, if you can't trust the CSIRO, who the fuck can you trust? Okay. According to the CSIRO on that page, and you can confirm this yourself by looking it up, burning fossil fuel for electricity, 34% of the total emissions of this country. Okay, That is four times bigger than the car problem. And I'm going to jump around a bit on their list, Okay, and we're going to go to a thing that is obtusely named fugitive emissions. What fugitive emissions are is when you dig a big hole in the ground to liberate coal from its subterranean repository, then you fracture up the ground and methane and propane just leach out of it, essentially. And that's what fugitive emissions are. Now, fugitive emissions are 10% of our national total. There's a couple of points on this, right? The first one is that if you add the 10% to the 34% that we already emit by burning what is mined, you get 44%, which is 5.5 times the magnitude of the car problem, okay? If cars are 8% and fugitive emissions plus burning essentially coal to make electricity is 44%, then it's 5.5 times bigger. And I'm not seeing 5.5 times more rhetoric and debate in the public domain about coal 
and mining it. I'm just not. The other thing about fugitive emissions is that they take place in discrete locations at coal mines, whereas the emissions from vehicles take place in a fully distributed way. So it would be easier to deal with fugitive emissions from a capture point of view than it is to deal with the car problem. And why are we not having one and a quarter times the debate about fugitive emissions from coal mines as we are about moving to EVs. It's because none of us can relate to coal mines, even though just the gases leaching out of them are 1.25 times a bigger problem than cars collectively. Right? Stationary energy, which is energy that you use when you turn on the stove at home or you turn on the even bigger burners in industry to keep the literal fires of industry burning, okay? That's 20% of the total, according to the CSIRO. That's 2.5 times bigger problem than cars, all right? Transport is 18%, and of the 18%, 8% of that 18 is cars, right? The other 10% to make the total of 18 is trucks, buses, trains, boats, like domestic boats, and domestic aviation. We don't talk about that. We talk about cars. It's insane. Agriculture, 15%, which is roughly double the emissions output of cars. Where is the debate about cutting the emissions from agriculture? I mean, effectively, it doesn't exist, okay? Cars are being unfairly demonised they bear a disproportionate amount of accountability in the public debate, in the public square, whatever you want to call it, about climate. And that is bullshit if you want to solve the problem. But coal is even worse than I just described because we export a shit ton of it. Actually, we burn about 170 million tonnes of coal in Australia, but we export about 400 million tonnes of it and it's roughly 60-40 in terms of the export, thermal and metallurgical. So thermal coal, which you just burn for heat to use in furnaces and things of that nature, that's about 60%. And metallurgical coal is about 40% of what we export. And that is a real problem because there's essentially no alternative to that. I know there's this rhetoric about green steel in various publications, but the problem with green steel is it doesn't scale. You can put a green steel plant together, but you can't make all of the steel that we need to build our skyscrapers and bridges, etc., ships, whatever. You can't make all of it in that green way. It just won't work. We need metallurgical coal, okay? And that is a real problem. We've got about 1,200 years worth of supply in terms of our own consumption, but I'd suggest it might be a really good idea to maintain that in the ground rather than just burn it because it'll fuck the planet if we do, right? The big problem for us, obviously, with coal is that the 400 million tonnes we export is a major earner. It makes $55 billion worth of export income for the country. If you take coal and iron ore out of Australia's balance sheet, we turn rapidly into a third world shithole. That's just how it is. We don't have a manufacturing base. We don't really do anything other than dig holes in the ground and put it on ships and dispose of it profitably. 
But we export enough coal to essentially double the emissions that we make by burning everything that we burn, inclusive of agriculture and fugitive emissions and stationary energy and all that stuff, we double our emissions by exporting coal to be burned elsewhere in the world. And so that part of the problem originates onshore here in Australia. And finally, I want to leave you with a thing called the Burrup Hub. Hands up, everybody who's heard of the Burrup Hub. I was only just made aware of this by, of all things, an honest government ad by the Juiced Media. They do some really clever work. And it's also funny. And it's funny slash depressing, I guess you'd have to say. It's a satirical take on the status quo. But I looked up the Burrup Hub and I did some proper research into it. The Burrup Hub is the filthiest, biggest gas project ever proposed in this country. So take that. Knee in the nuts, COP27. It's a gas project off the northwestern coast of Western Australia. So if you get in a plane and head for Indonesia, you're going to fly over it, basically. It's being run, or it's going to be run. It's more or less a fait accompli. They say it's not a done deal yet, but hey, the government is an energy company's bitch, basically. And it's being proposed by Woodside, mainly Woodside, but Chevron, BP, Shell and BHP, those environmental paragons are all involved in the Burrup Hub. Now, we emit 500 million tonnes of CO2, Australia, right? Of which 40 million tonnes comes from light vehicles like SUVs and cars and utes and things of that nature. This project is going to add a huge volume of gas, which when it is ultimately burned, and that's its function, when we put it in cryonic, liquefied in cryonic storage ships and fuck it off internationally, it's going to emit another 120 million tonnes of CO2 every year, right, for 50 years, <laughs> okay? So even if we get Harry Potter's magic hook, we change every car to an EV in Shaya tomorrow and we go, yay us, 40 million tonnes less burnt petrol and diesel, okay? This project, when it takes off, is going to be three times worse than the problem we allegedly solved with HP's hook. So I ask you, what? how do you contextualise the, the car problem in the context of the real picture about Australia's role in global emissions? Cars are a fucking sideshow. They just are. This Burrup Hub project, okay, which is... I'm sure the vested interests are doing everything they can to keep all knowledge of this out of the public domain because it is such an environmental disgrace, right? It's the same as four Adani coal mines, for fuck's sake, or 35 brand-new coal-fired power stations. That's what we're talking about in terms of emissions, right? So... I don't know what you conclude from all of this, but I have done my best here to faithfully reproduce the facts for you. And I want you to think about it. Like, you've got a brain, dude. You might not have used it that much for the past few years, but use it now. What do you conclude on the basis of all of that and where cars sit in the emissions landscape? Like, I've got a conclusion. And my conclusion is this, and I'll read it to you because I don't want to get it wrong. This country is run by, not the government, but vested interests. And they want you to be dumb 
and impressionable. This is a major objective, right? Because dumb and impressionable people can be nudged around on the chessboard easily, especially if you've got millions of dollars to debate to doing the nudging. They want you to see that your combustion car is the quintessential harbinger of environmental catastrophe. And nothing could be further from the truth, in my view. They want you to focus on acquiring a clean electric vehicle, right? Climate problem solved, right, dude? Yeah? They want you to do this while they systematically fuck the planet, abetted by whichever government is the government of the day, federally or at the state level, because they all have to suck on the teat of Woodside, basically. P.S. They're going to employ virtually nobody, and they pay virtually zero tax. I don't know about you, dude, but to me, this seems somehow unfair. <laughs>